Welcome to the Vivid Church Podcast. Wherever you're listening from today, it's our hope that this message would help you reflect the light of Jesus' life for all to see. Now, here's Pastor Justin Reimer. I'm really looking forward to sharing this message with you today that I believe speaks into the moment that we're in right now. Now, if you were with us last week, you know we had a great conversation around justice and race and inequality and how we respond as the church. It was the first of what will need to be many of com- many conversations if we're going to get better at this, if we're going to see true unity come. Next week, I have an exciting conversation we're going to be having that I, I know is going to be a blessing to our whole church. But today I wanted to share this one simple message from Scripture that I think helps give us a theological basis for where we are right now. If you're taking notes, the title of today's message is, How Did We Get Here? How did we get here? Can I pray? And then we're going to dive into this. Jesus, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you want to speak to us today. And I trust you to do just that. I pray that in the next few moments, you'd use your word to speak into our hearts, that you give us inspiration and courage for what you would have us do in response to you. In your name we pray. Amen. How did we get here? You know, I believe in the next few moments when this message is wrapping up, You're going to be asking, and I'm going to be asking, how did we get here? Truthfully, I'm simply sharing from my heart today. You know, earlier I was uh, at a coffee shop. It's a coffee shop that is just a little window right now due to the closure of different stores and cafes in this COVID-19 pandemic. And I found myself in an alley by a window ordering a coffee, and Jennifer and I were standing together waiting on our coffee. And, And in the midst of this, I'm standing in front of a dumpster, looking at a window, and in front of me was a a man with his dog, and he was having the most uh, one-sided conversation with his dog that I've ever heard. He, He was talking to him, he's like, why are you doing this to me today? Like, seriously, what is your problem? You are so much worse than my last dog. I don't know if I can take you out anymore. And he was having this this interesting conversation back and forth, and as he began to walk, the dog resisted, and he just turned and sat there, and he went, really? Really, we're going to do this. Like I was expecting him to to throw out, a, I'm not mad, I'm just really disappointed. It was that intentional of a conversation. While that's happening, a lady comes running up to the window and asks the question, how long will it take you to make me an Americano? And she had a handful of cash and she reached through the window and she said, just keep all the change. To which they answered through a mask, I'm sorry, we don't accept cash right now. And it was just this little snapshot of life and And I found myself like, if I had played that scene in my mind a few months ago, I would be asking myself the question, how did we get here? Why am I standing by a dumpster watching somebody train their dog while someone else is demanding coffee and and cash is no longer accepted? It was like this strange little moment. Now, having lived through it, here's how we got here. Stores closed down. This store decided to stay open. They use masks. They don't take cash. You can kind of dissect it and see, oh, that's how... We got here and somehow this has become somewhat normal. Now into that same question, here's what I've been hearing stated so many times over the last number of weeks as we collectively as a society have been faced with the pervasive issues of race that still plague our world and still are present in our day-to-day society. And I've been hearing people ask the question, how did we get here? And the interesting thing about that is, is I think it's probably shrouded in some ignorance 
It's under the assumption that there was a point when we weren't here. And the truth is that our entire society, our entire culture has existed with racial tension, not only at the forefront, but at the very foundation. I'm finding myself looking at humanity saying, guys, we've always been here. And I guess that's really the heart of the issue, isn't it? That this is not a fad. That these issues are not a trend. This is not just the thing we need to deal with in 2020. This is an issue that humanity has faced for a long time. And I just want to say, I believe God has an answer for this solution. And I really do believe that His church is the answer. That He has called us as His people to be a part of the solution. Before I give some scriptural context for this, I also want to say this because it's been on my heart. The, the statement Black Lives Matter has been uh, such a charged statement over the last few years. And, and, and politically, different people have decided their big moment to state it. And, and others politically have decided not to state it. Rallies have been, been marched for. And then there's been people who have had opposition. I, I want you to know this. Black Lives Matter is the easiest thing for me to say because from the bottom of my heart, I always have and always will believe it. However, today I want to also make this clear. I think that the term matter is simply not deep enough. Like, like things can matter to us and we still put no action to them. People can say, my, my health matters and they still don't eat the way they should eat. People can say, my, my sleeping pattern matters and they still go to bed too late every night and can't get themselves up in the morning. People can say, my financial future matters and still make the worst spending decisions. It would be possible as society that we could embrace this easy to state cultural uh, reality that black lives obviously truly matter and still do nothing. What I want to say today is that black lives don't just matter. They're treasured. They're cherished. They're needed. They're wanted. If you're a person of color today and you're, you're part of Vivid Church or maybe you're observing from afar, I want you to know you don't just matter. You are loved and you are wanted and you are approved and you are validated and qualified and, and you are at the very center of the heart of God. You more than matter. And church, we need to put action to the things that we know matter to God. Now, into this question, how do we get here? If you have your Bible, turn all the way back to the book of Genesis, if you would. Genesis chapter 11. I was pondering this earlier this week. This is truly how we got here. Genesis chapter 11. If you could go here with me. This, uh, this story has happened after the flood and uh, the people of, of earth have, have kind of wandered and they've scattered. And, and we find Genesis chapter 11 going to, to verse 1. It says this, Now the whole world had one language and one common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and they settled there. They said to each other, Come, let's make bricks. Let's bake them thoroughly. Then they used those bricks instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be scattered over the face of the whole earth. So people came together and they had an ideological idea to make a tower so they could make a name for themselves. They said, if we can do this project together, we will have a legacy that we're never forgotten for. If we can do this, we will need nothing from anyone. Ultimately, if we can build this tower, we no longer need God. 
They were building an ideology that brought them together without God at the center of that unity. Now, God responds to this because God always responds to unity. You'll find it from the beginning of Scripture to the end and alive and work today. God loves unity. Unity attracts heaven. You know, in the book of Psalms, it says this, how good and pleasant it is when people dwell together in unity. And it describes it this way. It's like oil that runs down the head of the chief priest. That means it's anointed. It's like the dew that lands on the mountain. That means it's refreshing. And it's there that God commands a blessing. God responds to unity. Now this group of people had unified around an ideology that did not include God. And God came and responded this way. Look what it says, verse 5. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower and the people and what they were building. The Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing that they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so that they will not understand one another. So the Lord scattered them from there over the whole earth and they stopped building that city. That is why that city is now called Babel, because it was there that the Lord confused their languages, and it was there that he sent them to the whole world. From there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the earth. Okay, story from from beginning to end here. A group of people gathered together around an ideology that didn't include God. God said that unity, though it is attractive to me, is dangerous. If there's no room for me in this, it will fall. The Bible says this, plans, if they don't include the Lord, a city that is built that way can never prosper. And so culture was God's idea. Culture was God's solution. Culture was a reminder to the people that, that he's the only one who can bring people together. So from this moment forward, this group of people that had been working together in unity towards a a, a cause that was common, but broken, in that moment they were scattered because their language caused them to be so. Now it's interesting, isn't it, that God has played a part in culture. It's no wonder that I would find the aspects of culture so intriguing and so interesting because they've got the fingerprints of God all over them. Different food, different language, different dances, different music. I'm so grateful that we live in a multicultural society and a city of diversity and that even within our church, we have these interesting experiences. No two people are the same. And yet with that scattering also came some division. Now what I love about this is the very next thing God says. This happens in Genesis 11. The very next thing that God says is he reveals his plan For culture. Look what it says in Genesis chapter 12. Then the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, from your people, and from your father's household to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who, uh, who you will curse, and all the people on earth will be blessed through you. So God says, If you want to be unified around an ideology that doesn't include me, I just need to back off and let you scatter. Language will scatter you. But then his next next words, his next interaction with humanity is, Abram, I choose you, and I choose you to be a unifying force on the planet. Leave where you're comfortable, go to where you are not comfortable, and bring a blessing to the world. Now catch this, from this moment forward, all of God's interactions with humanity have been in the the subcontext or or the, the backdrop of race. There has always been a division 
of cultures. There has always been a great divide. Much of the Bible is written to, to people who were Jewish. And for them, they saw everyone who was not Jewish as less than. Imagine that in their culture and society, most of the Bible written that if you were a white European, you were a barbarian Gentile who could not possibly understand the grace of God. Isn't it amazing how race and culture and division has always existed? And if you look through the Old Testament story after story, everyone has this, this plot or this setting of racial tension. Brother against brother, tribe against tribe, nation against nation, continent against continent. And it really has never changed. But at the same time, the heart of God has never changed to bring people together. You see, Moses, as he brings the law, the law included so many uh, uh, purposes for how you should treat those who are not part of your culture. God spoke to his people. He said, I'm going to take you to a land you don't know. And when people want hospitality, extend it and receive them. And then you, you see people like Elijah and Elisha, these charismatic prophets who move in the power of God. Their sole purpose is to bring reform to the people of Israel and to draw their hearts back to God. And yet they interact with people who are not part of their culture and not part of their mission field. And they bring this grace of God extended. And you see it over and over and over again until Jesus comes. And with Jesus comes this glimpse of what unity can really look like. In fact, in the person of Jesus, we see the purposes of God, what they have always been to bring together those who are far apart, to bring together the least and the last and the lost and the lonely, that they could all come together and find common ground and find unity. Look what it says here in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2. I hope you can turn there with me in your Bible. If not, we will include this in the chat and you're going to see this. Again, I told you, I'm going to be saying to myself, how did we get here again? Because I'm just sharing from my heart today. Ephesians chapter 2. Look what it says uh, here in verse uh, 11. It says, Therefore remember that formerly you who were Gentiles by birth were called uncircumcised by those who themselves were referred to as the circumcision which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that, that at that time you were separated from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship in Israel. You were foreigners to the covenant of the promise without any hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Catch this, verse 14, for he himself is our peace who has made the true groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. And does that sound like today? That Jesus, he doesn't only bring peace, he is our peace. And Jesus, he stands right where the, the, the walls divide, right where the barriers exist. And he says, I love people on this side of this debate and I love people on that side of this debate. I love people with this experience and those with the opposite experience. I love people who express themselves in this way and those in other. And Jesus has purposed to put himself in harm's way so that we could know what unity looks like. You know, here's the truth. What we're facing right now in response to George Floyd's death and Breonna Taylor's death and so many others that have come to the surface, the forefront, and we're all talking about it. And I love that conversation. But what we're finding here, this is not... 
left versus right. This is truly not black versus white. This is darkness versus light. And Jesus has come to be the light of the world, to shine a light on what injustice looks like and to call us as his church to be the answer, to be the solution. Now, let me show you this. This gets me excited, okay? Remember Genesis 11? They, they unified around an ideology that did not include God. And so God scattered them. Their language was divisive and it drew them apart. And, and for all history, God has been bringing his purpose through his people, Abram and Moses and David and Jesus and all the way through so that those who were scattered could be brought back into unity. Look what it says in Acts chapter 2. Jesus... He's lived. He's lived a perfect life. He's died upon a cross and rose again from from the dead to bring redemption to humanity. His closest friends gather around him. He he has literally conquered death. And he gathers around. He says, guys, good news. They go, oh man, what could be better than what you've already done? You have raised the dead. You have healed the blind. You have cleansed the leper. You went into a tomb. We saw it happen. And here you are with us. What could be better? He goes, great news, guys. I'm leaving. And they said, Jesus, I don't think you understand what good news is because that doesn't sound good. He goes, no, no, no. It's good news. Because when I leave, I'm going to pour out my Holy Spirit into your life. And with the Spirit, you'll do greater things than I did. With the Spirit, you'll take this message that affected this small group and you will take it and it will change the world. He said, then... You will become my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. He goes, then you will work out the purpose that I've had since Abram, that that humanity could be drawn into unity, not around an ideology, but around the person of Jesus. Not around just choosing to live in in commonality and compromise, but around the the unity we find in the grace of God. So in Acts chapter 2, the Bible says they were all together in one accord. They were all together in one place. It was about 120 people. And into that room, the Holy Spirit moved. It said that, it says the, the room was filled with what sounded like wind. And they looked at each other and they saw what looked like flames of fire on top of each one of their head. And then one by one, they all began to open their mouths and speak in languages they had not learned. And there wasn't a single person in the room that said, well, I wonder what's happening here. They all knew this was the power Jesus spoke of. So they left that place and they went into the streets. And the book of Acts records that that in the city of Jerusalem that day, there was people from at least 15 different cultures. Let me show you. Acts chapter 2. This is is the the cultural divide being mended. It says this in uh, in verse 9, that every person heard the wonderful works of Jesus in their language. And there were Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus in Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and all the parts of of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans, and Arabs. And they all heard them declaring the wonderful works of Jesus. And they were amazed and perplexed. And they said, what does this mean? Did you catch this? When the Spirit of God is poured out on people, God uses language to bring us back together. When when what unified them was an ideology that did not include God, they could never find common ground. But when the Holy Spirit came, they all were unified around the name of Jesus. That day, thousands of people 
heard of the name of Jesus. That day, in response to a simple message that Peter spoke, empowered by the Spirit, they didn't only say, what must we, uh, what does this mean? They asked this question, well, what do we have to do then? And Peter says, here's what you do, repent and believe. And that day, their church became the most multicultural, most culturally diverse group of people, thousands of people from at least 15 different language groups into what would have been one of the most segregated times in culture where everyone had their own experience and there was no crossovers to be had. And by the work of the Spirit, that happened. And from that moment forward, the rest of the New Testament is written into the uniqueness of culture. The rest of the New Testament is speaking to how we can be unified. And that, I believe, is a story still being told. Here we are, Vancouver 2020. We still need the Lord to work and help us to do the things that lead to peace. That's what it says in Romans chapter 14. Do things that lead towards peace. That's why so many people this week, you've begun to change your habits and patterns to do some things that lead to peace. That's why some, this week, you've had highlighted some of the good practices that you've already made normal that lead to peace. And for some, you've had to address, we've had to look at, is this practice, this way of thinking, this way of talking, actually leading towards peace? And we've had to address those things and make a change. Why? Because God's heart for you and I is that we would live in love. It's that we would live in unity. It's always been the purpose of God. It's always been what grace was for. God chose Abram and by extension has chosen us, people who have responded to the righteousness of God, now empowered by the Spirit to bring unity. I'm going to end with this today. Look at what it says in Ephesians chapter 4. In Ephesians chapter 4, I want to remind us of this. Because just deciding to be unified does not actually mean we're unified. You and I can agree that unity matters, but put no work to that unity. Look what it says in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 3. It says to you and I, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. For there's one body, one Spirit. Just as we were called to one hope when we were called, there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Well, what's our peace? Jesus, He Himself is our peace. How do we walk in that? Good news, He's given us the Holy Spirit. Well, what will that change? It'll change the way we talk. It'll change the way we communicate. Holy Spirit strategies that allow us to speak in areas where we were not comfortable and not talk about ourselves and not simply try to align our ideologies but humbly accept the reality that without Jesus, we will know no peace. We can't be unified just around common ideals. We need the Holy Spirit to do a work. And so I'm praying for us as a church. I'm praying for you. You're watching here today that God would use us just like Abram, just like Elijah, just like Moses and David and Jesus and the disciples and the apostle Paul, that he could use us to bring peace to a world that has become divided ideologically. Can I pray for us today? I believe God is calling us to not just say this matters, but to put action and effort to that peace. You say, it's going to take a lot of work. Yeah, that's what effort looks like. Man, it's going to take a lot of work. And, and, and what will it look like on the other side? Here's what it'll look like. Here's what it'll feel like. A revival 
of peace. Jesus, I pray for everyone watching today. I thank you that you have always been at work in and through culture. You have always been at work in and through your people. And your heart has always been that people from every nation, every tribe, and every tongue would be gathered around the name that is above every name, under one banner of the name of Jesus. I pray that you would use us not only to observe what needs to change, but to actively be a part of that change. Not only to say this matters, not only to say black lives matter, but to put action to the thing that we know matters to you. Thank you, Spirit, that you give us language to speak. You give us a language that brings unity. And I pray that in our day and in our time, people would be asking the question, what does this mean? And what must I do? God, we're saying to you, what does it mean the, the cultural moment we're in. How did we get here? But not only how do we get here, what must we do to live in the light of the love that you've brought? Give us power to put effort into keeping and maintaining peace, into building bonds where they did not exist, that we all might come under unity because you are above all and in all and through all. In Jesus' name. We hope that you enjoyed this edition of the Vivid Church podcast. For more information about Vivid Church, check out our website at www.vivid.church or look us up on Instagram at vivid.church. Have the best day.